so hot. Yes, it's July in Vegas. <laughs> so hot. But the offer we got coming up here before the show, hot also. Hot too. And this one is going to be like one of those classic commercials in which you say, hmm, that seems like a pretty good deal. Then you go, what, that too? And steak knives? <laughs> We're building a an air-conditioned oasis right now. First, we got a baseball contest. Free to enter. 250 in cash for the winner. Second half baseball. That's it. Second half of baseball from now to the World Series. Whoever does best puts 250 cash in their pocket. Now, one of the behind the scenes but instrumental parts of the show, Sleepy Jay, very well known to the pregame people. He had the very best of every professional, every pro at pregame last year in the second half of baseball. Sleepy Jay was the best. You could say, how good he do? The best. Was it really good? No, no. It was the best. It's that simple. Now, Sleepy's record, he won just in the second half over 25 units in baseball. If the winner of this contest, the free contest to enter that gets $250, if they do better than Sleepy, they get a bonus and they double their cash payout to $500. It's called the Beat Sleepy Contest. Some would call it the Beat Sleepy J Contest. But once you're familiar, once you get comfortable and intimate, it's just sleep. And then, I, then it goes to sleep. Hey, sleep. And then from there... Well, this is a PG-13 show. You can't explain what goes next. But I just say sleep, and that's as far as I'm going. But I'm telling you right now, <laughs> he had 25 units last year. If you beat him this year, you get an extra $250. And if you don't, you know what? The winner still gets $250. Now, you might think, okay, that's good. I, get, I agree with you so far, RJ, with the, oh, that's interesting. I just headbutted the mic, by the way. Here's the second piece of that oasis. You can get Sleepy Jay's picks during this second half of the baseball season and for less than the typical pros. Sleepy came in, a man of the people, years ago and said, I want to sell cheaper. And you know what? He's really carved out a niche for himself and it allows people who aren't betting as much per game to get professional picks. I give him a hat tip for that. And you can get, though, his second half of baseball, all access, every pick for that time that he kicked butt last year, that same time of the season, as a man of the people, his regular price is $249 for a half a season of baseball. You can save $50 off of that. And I'm going to do some quick math. That's $199 from now through likely November. From the number one guy last year. I feel bad for the other guys, to be honest. But you know what? They're they're doing just fine. So by the way, that coupon code, hot H-O-T 50. See how it's all coming together now? You see? Hot 50. Speaking of hot, we've got Andre Gomes this season up 52 units. Spartan up nearly, well, about 36, over 36 units. And Mm-hmm. Wally Pip <laughs> taking his second week off. Fez, Steve Fezzik, 
up over 30 units. This guy's, this guy's winning money making sales from the beach. Unbelievable. He'll be back next week. Getting a lot of heat, too, by the way. So, Gomes. By the way, we didn't badmouth you last week when you were gone. I know. I knew that without listening. <laughs> Gomes, 52 <laughs> units. Spartan up 36. Fez up 30. You can have any of them for the higher price, but still with the discount. 349. And let's be honest, 349 is a pretty damn good deal. But with Hot 50, you get for 299 if you want it. Now, I'm going to take just one minute and explain. Like how much smarter it is to buy the subscriptions. If you said, I'm going to cherry pick, I'm just going to find the one or two, let's say the two best bats of the week and go with those. If you bought at normal price, two best bets a week from now through the end of the baseball season, it would cost you about $500. So you're getting seven days a week instead of two. So let's say you don't bet every day. Let's say some days you bet, some days you don't. Well, if you're betting more than twice a week, you make more money with a subscription. So that's Hot 50, all these pros, Andre Gomes, Spartan, Steve Fezzik. That 50 brings you down to 299 Every pick in baseball from now through the World Series. And Sleepy, who was number one last year, his 249 becomes 199 with the same coupon code HOT50. And remember, for free, you got the contest. You pick just like you're sleepy, like you're anyone. If you win, you get 250 cash coming from my pocket. And I don't like that. And I have to double it if you beat Sleepy. I gotta tell you, AJ, that was a that was like building an ice sculptor that doesn't melt. It was. But it probably will melt through July. Yeah. Because this expires. When does this expire? Uh, August 1st, I believe. You believe? You're not sure? I don't have the paper in front of me anymore. Oh, you know what? I wrote it on there. The ice sculptor melts August 1st. And that's interesting. If it was me, I would have said through the end of July, why would the first be a yeah? Why wouldn't the first be no? I think July 31st is what I would. But hey, listen, you've done This is a new task for me yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm working out you some see kinks. what i'm saying like, yeah good for the rest of july you're august right. first changes the paradigm but you know what here's what i know it's good take the last second here it gets hot in july i don't know if you, uh, you guys know i like a little baseball scott seidenberg with the show today as usual you love i mean when it's hot in vegas because vegas is hotter than new york isn't there something about the power of man that you can turn that TV on, be sitting? You might have a dip in. I don't know if you dip. <laughs> watching anymore. baseball in like 72-degree opulence, even though it's 115 outside. Yeah. And while you're inside watching the sunny field and those players that must be hot, but you're in the cool temperature of your air conditioning. And they're making money, and you're making money. Exactly. But not as much money, let's be honest. Yeah. I'd rather be that player. Yeah. The second best thing, though, <laughs> you get my drift. And you just go buy picks at pregame.com is the link, is the little tab. And you do it and put that coupon code in when you make the purchase. And to join the contest, you just go to contest. It's free to join. It's that simple. By the way, we just finished the first episode of the show. I'll just say this. I'll say four... Letters. G-O 
P-O-D. Uh-huh. Enjoy. Episode two. We're jam-packed. We're going to get right to it. If you missed episode one, it's right here in the feed. We're going through the NFL. But I promised you first, we got a golf pick. We got sound on it. And this is a guy, as AJ said at the end of the last episode, literally 100 to 1 winner. He only had two. No, not, like a hundred, said, not a 100 to 1 winner. He almost had a, had a 100 to 1 He had a 50 to 1 winner. 55 to 1 two and weeks he only ago. He made one pick. Made two picks, and it was two like the top. They were winning around the bend, and Roy McIlroy came in. And if you did just the outright, you got nipped. Top five won for like both of them. Yeah, that's about as hot as you can get. He's incredible. If he's leading off one of my pods, and it's golf, that's all you need to know. It is the Open Championship, and it's I call it the British Open, and it's free. Listen up. My uh, best bet for the 151st Open at Royal Liverpool will be Ewan Ferguson, the Scot, over Thomas Dietrich at plus 106 on Bet Online. And Ewan Ferguson, he's had a ton of success on the European Tour this season, especially over his last 10 events. You look at the way Ferguson is rolling into Hoylake, fourth at the British Masters and 12th last week at the Scottish Open. I think Ferguson shocks a ton of people at the Open this week in his debut. Um, it's a major championship debut, by the way. Um, I, I think he shocks a lot of people this week. And in this matchup, he'll be taking down Thomas Dietry uh, from Belgium, who has not finished better than 42nd over his last four starts. And on top of that, Dietry has never finished better than 34th in an open championship. So my best bet for this week for the open, the final major of the year, will be Ewan Ferguson over Thomas Dietry at plus 106 on Bet Online. Well, there you go. If you couldn't make money, I wouldn't have listened. But you can. No short things, but this guy's red hot. You know, the British Open, it's too British for me, Mm. just generally. But I do like the Lynx golf, because that's how my game was. I couldn't hit it too high, so it was always like like runners. And I I had a seven wood at one point. I'll say it like that. I appreciate it. I used it from about 170. (laughs) I appreciate Lynx golf because I don't lose as many golf balls. Yeah, because you can just hit it off the other fairway. When there's fewer trees, yeah, you're, you're never out of play, really. I've seen your dexterity. I bet you're bad at golf. Very bad. I can hit the ball a long way. I just can't hit it very straight. I bet you're bad at pool. Uh, yeah. How did I know that? I don't know. We should play pool for money. Well, that seems like a... Re- we should wrestle for money, RJ. <laughs> hmm. Do I get to put a ringer in there? No, me uh, versus you. I'll let you... I'll let my, my attorney will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Assume no word is enough. <laughs> All right, we're continuing in the NFL, and these are um, transactions or events that happened after after we had our first win totals that came up March 28th. And as we said, we're going through the big news of the offseason and trying to place it into this context of, hey, how did this news lead to line moves? Atlanta Falcons signed cornerback Trey Flowers. Where'd he play at? Cincinnati. The Cincinnati Bengals. That's right. Okay. Now, let's look at Atlanta overall because there's a lot of stuff going on. We talked about it. Cut Mariota and Mariota. They have a late round or you know mid-round pick at quarterback after a you know, so-so rookie season played, like I think, four games. Trey Flowers, good signing. What else we got? Anything else from Atlanta? 
Nah, that's it. But or at least on the major moves. Oh no! One other thing: they were one of the two biggest spenders in the way we look at um, free agent spending. They had a lot of money to spend, and that means improvement. And if you know if they hit on any of them, it's all about resources. Atlanta had a lot of them, and even though Fez went under earlier in this offseason, it's been a lot of over money. They opened seven and a half wins on that March twenty eighth. And they're the second biggest uptick now at 8.7. That's a monster change. And the only other one bigger is Baltimore that had the whole Lamar Jackson element to it. Speaking of that, the Baltimore Ravens, two transactions in about the same time in April. OBJ signs an exorbitant, I think, 15, 16 sticks. And then Lamar Jackson resigns. Oh, wait, resigns. <laughs> I'm just wishful thinking. We think the OBJ maybe had something to do with it. I don't really think that. So what was the scenario that Lamar was going to say, you know, you're offering me 42 a year or whatever, but I'm not taking it because we didn't sign OBJ. Because I think unquestionably <laughs> the Ravens overpaid for OBJ if there wasn't some other effect. Thoughts? Yeah, one-year deal worth up to $18 million for Odell Beckham Jr. is significantly overpaying. But the idea was to make it enticing for Lamar Jackson to put weapons around him where his number one receiving option has been a tight end in Mark Andrews. They haven't had a number one wide receiver. Now, if Odell Beckham Jr. can play anywhere close to the level that he used to be at, this guy provides... Lamar Jackson with a legit weapon at the wide receiver position, something that he hasn't had, and it's a new dynamic to this offense, which under a new offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin is what they need. Well, who's the guy that used to be on first things first? I, I, he played at a high state wide receiver. Carter? Yeah, Chris, Chris Carter. Yeah, Maybe they should sign Chris Carter. <laughs> I mean, what I'm saying is, like, if OBJ is like he was, he's not going to be like he was, right? Like he was in 2019? I mean, Can he be like he was for the Rams? He was pretty good for the Rams. Yeah, that's fair. But, boy, he miss, I mean, you miss a whole season like that. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like 18 months between snaps. I'm not saying he can't be good. I'm saying there's uncertainty. But here's my question. What would be the going rate for how good he was with the Rams? I would make the case pretty much 18, 15, 18 million. Yeah. I mean, so we're on, assuming he's mm-hmm. like, like to even for this deal not to be a monstrosity, he has to reach that, which you admit is a stretch goal or an uncertain goal. I, I think we're throwing around like he was really good for the Rams flippantly. Like he played eight games for the Rams. Mm-hmm. Remember, he played with the Browns before that the same season. So we can we can combine those two. Mm-hmm. Four, 14, 14 games played that year. He had 44 catches and 737 yards receiving, or 537 yards receiving, pardon me. But let, let's be honest, there was something wrong with that Baker-OBJ connection. Yeah. So, so let's then, look at just Rams. If we, if we look at the Rams, which was half the season, and we double it and say that he yeah, does yeah. this for a full season. So in eight games, he had 27 catches, 305 yards, five touchdowns. If he had 54 yeah, catches... For, if he had 54 catches for 610 yards and 10 touchdowns, how'd you do that? Would someone pay? Yeah, would someone pay him 18 million? That's crazy. Now go look at his playoff numbers. No, he he played well in the Super. Bowl. They don't win the Super Bowl without him. I agree with that. 
You got anything else you want to? No, it, I had my uh, yeah team set. Like my sound was on, so when a team's thing comes through, it dings. I'm, oh. I apologize. No worries. Um, yeah, I listen. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, thinking about this, it's brilliant. The Ravens. It's a brilliant signing. They're tricking everyone somehow with this because they're going to lose on this deal, but everyone else is going to try to fall. Come on. The Ravens, F the Ravens. I can tell you what's happened anyway. I know I could tell you another reason why the Ravens number jumped right around the same. Well, the Ravens number jumped for one reason. There was uncertainty about signing Lamar Jack. He said his goodbyes. Not one reason. Okay. The Ravens also had the best draft out of everybody. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> and the best draft of the last year, the year before. Jesus Christ. How did this happen with the Ravens? I don't know. If it happened with the Steelers, you would wear it like a badge of honor, though. No, no. I don't like hypocrisy no matter what. I like it worse, though, when it's against me. <laughs> I don't like it either way, though. I will say that. When Let's be honest. The Ravens haven't won a Super Bowl since like Super Bowl 12. How could you have the best draft? Or I'm sorry, since 2012. How could you have the best draft every year? And not win the Super Bowl in a decade, or even, or did they even make the Super Bowl? Have the Ravens the Ravens haven't no. lost a Super Bowl since it now? Have they made a conference final? I think they had one against the Patriots. Yeah, Harbaugh overrated. <laughs> Ozzie Newsome overrated as a player and an executive. <laughs> John D. Filippo is that one of the guys, or is he with the Browns? Ravens have not made the conference finals since they won the Super Bowl. They made the divisional playoffs three times since then. Ooh. Ooh, congratulations. Yeah, lost to the Patriots in that divisional. 14 wins, 2019. Oh, that's when Belichick came out and, and had the strange line, and, and Harbaugh was all like, what's he going? What's he doing? I, I'm the one that tries to fool people. <laughs> Did he say it just like that? <laughs> no, he goes, these are men. <laughs> <laughs> something, something like that. Um, something that would... That would frighten small children. We know that much. And and you know what? His brother's even worse. You oh, guys we'll talk are, about him later. Yeah, you guys are talking later about, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk about him for a while. He smells. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the Michigan hardball. You guys, I'm I'm predicting right now, you're not gonna fall prey. And don't tell me. I'm gonna listen. Cause you recorded this already for the end of the pod. I'm not gonna fall prey. To the thought of like, well, they're not that square that they're going to be like, well, Michigan won last year. They won the year before. They got to win it this year. So I have faith you guys are going to see talent wins out over the randomness of small sample sizes. To be determined. Exactly. By the end of this pod. Let's go Badgers. (laughs) Huh? What? what, What does that mean? Maybe I maybe I have Wisconsin winning. <laughs> Ooh, now that wouldn't be square. We can agree to that one. <laughs> the last time a team from the uh, Big Ten West won the Big Ten, 2012. Something tells me it's same not time, happening. Same time the Ravens won the Super Bowl? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think so. Every young man feels the need to let the badger loose now and again. Well, there you go. There you go. John Wayne, the shootest. With Ron Howard. Okay, next up. Lamar Jackson. Aaron Rodgers traded to the Jets. Obviously a big upgrade. Now, this is really a good example of how you can see the uncertainty in the odds. 
So there was a lot of, you know, whisper, titter-tatter, titter and tatter, jibber and jabber about, hey, Jets, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, look, they got his favorite coach that never calls plays before in his life. And that was built into the number. And then when it happened, the uncertainty, so not the certainty he would go there, but the possibility was built in the number. Then the distance between, well, what are the Jets with Aaron Rodgers? What are the Jets with a chance of Aaron Rodgers? Well, that's what the movement was. Mm -hmm. And same thing with Lamar. What's What was Baltimore without him? What are they with him? What's the chance of him resigning? That's where the price happens. So Jets have certainly, uh, Rodgers moved the line for sure, but that move isn't all that Rodgers is worth because there was some already in the number because of the possibility. Yeah, I mean, you look at the post-Super Bowl odds, the Jets were 29-1, to 1, and then on March 8th, they were 20-1. to 1. March 13th, they dropped down to 13-1. to 1. And those dates, 13th was the signing? Or the official announcement? Because the idea of 29-1 to 1 was probably fair to say this is the Jets with the assumptions of last mm-hmm. season. Right? Then... On early March, March 8th, it's 20 to 1. That's like, okay, that's some proportion of the Aaron Rodgers effect. Then on March 13th, hey, he's here. So it went from 29 to 1 to 20 to 1 to 13 to 1. Yeah, the moment that he, I guess, acknowledged oh. that he was talking to the Jets was March 7th. Mm-hmm. So that jump you saw that went from 29 to 20 was when Rodgers was speaking the to the Jets. The first real thought that, yes. hey, this is happening. And then, or this could happen. And then March 15th was when he told Pat McAfee, I want to play for the Jets. So the move had still not been finalized, but he had come out publicly and said that he was going, he wanted to play for the Jets. The odds shift down to 13 to 1. And, now, and then there wasn't really a change once he was officially uh, well, traded. I think when he was officially traded, we're now down to 9.7, right? Oh, no, I'm, I'm looking talking at about the, the Super Bowl odds, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the wrong number. So so the current number, Super Bowl odds, why? And since most of these events happened before the win totals came mm-hmm. out, it made sense that we were looking Super Bowl there. But right now the Jets are at, what, 15 to 1? Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. As early as – that's very interesting. As early as the 13th of March – they were down to 13 to 1. That was coinciding with Rodgers publicly saying that he's going to, I made it clear my intentions to play for the my, Jets. Or my preference, Jets. Yeah. Because right? he, intention or not, it couldn't happen unless they traded mm-hmm. him. And at that point, it was 13 to 1. And now it's 15 to 1. Yeah, trade didn't happen until April 24th. So what it shows is they, at that point, it was such a foregone conclusion. The market was, pri- or at least they perceived it to be, that market was pricing in with no discount. Mm-hmm. They're saying this is the Jets with Rodgers when they were just twenty nine to one, you know, weeks before. But it is interesting. They left no uncertainty. The market did in the number, which I think is foolish. But here I, we are. I think it's like I think the Jets. Like if you said who's the worst value on the board. To me, it's the Jets at fifteen to one. Okay, so if you had to book some, if you had to book any of these Super Bowls, yes. you book that one. Okay, that's something we might do in the next couple of weeks. Is book, you know? But but here's where I'm going to counter that, and okay. we'll let Scott defend his team. The defense was really good. Sure, it was trending up. They signed their D lineman, who is elite, elite. Defense though isn't as sticky. 
So there's more variance year to year. So if you're counting on D, you're kind of building on sand. You can make the case. It's not as sturdy. I also think the running back hall, is that right? The Brees Hall. Is if he can come back 100%, he, I, I think his absence was bigger than people realized last year. If he comes back 100%, he is electric, and you got a, a receiver that won rookie of the year. You think about young talent, you got the defensive player of the year at cornerback. Got the offensive rookie of the year at wide receiver, the guy who was the favorite to be the offensive rookie of the year at running back that, I mean, before a lot he got of hurt. talent on his team. There is. There's also a quarterback who last season his QBR so Aaron Rogers, was. Just, Aaron Rodgers is going to be the pro. He's going to. He he's not good enough for them to go to the Super Bowl. Is if there was any other player not named Tom Brady who last season had the same QBR number as his age, those numbers were the same, thirty nine. We wouldn't be saying what a major upgrade they've made. We've talked, we've had this discussion many times. There's a every quarterback hits a wall except for Tom Brady, and performance just plummets. So what was we that? have to say? Aaron Rodgers is the exception. Look otherwise. for this now. Look this up for me. Is all right. So Aaron Rodgers last year was 2022. So he won the 20. Look up his QBR in 2019, and Aaron Rodgers would have been what four years younger. So he was 36 or 35 to 36 in that year. 52.5. So at age 35 moving and then turning 36, he drops down to average. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the wall? I, is, I don't, we, we haven't seen quarterbacks at 39 be above average. No, I don't, no, no. But what I'm saying is. It was certainly this, a, a sign of decline. I wouldn't have called no, it the wall. But well, I thought it was a sign of decline. At, sure. At thirty, well, how how could it, I mean? You're admitting the sun comes up. Yes, it was decline, no doubt, in 2019. But a 36 year old at the end of the season quarterback that has such a down year, there's talk of the wall, right? Sure. So maybe you're right. Tom Brady's changed the paradigm, and maybe in a way that's dangerous that doesn't apply to other people. Aaron Rodgers, you know how good the Green Bay Green Bay's support system around him on offense wasn't great last year. No, they finished EPA wise, I think like tenth in in offense. It wasn't a great year, but it wasn't a horrible year. But would you agree that we've seen a lot of good, great seasons out of thirty-seven or thirty-eight-year-old quarterbacks, mm. and none in, in Aaron Rodgers is going to turn forty this season? But if he plays as good as Drew Brees played his last year, Jets can make the Super Bowl. The so, Jets right now, according to PFF, the seventh ranked roster in the NFL. I okay, and that what that tends to do is just devalue quarterback, devalue. It's just saying if every position was equal. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I think I am I'm of two minds on the Jets. On one, I want to fade them. I want to be on AJ's side because I think Aaron Rodgers is hitting a wall potentially. I think last year is a troubling sign. But then I wonder if he is a good game manager, if he is the twelfth best quarterback. But he's especially good not throwing interceptions. If there's anything Aaron Rodgers does well, mm-hmm. it's not throw interceptions. Some would say he's not aggressive enough in spots he should be because he's so worried about his interception total. If he's the uh, Kirk Cousins, but he can. But here's the thing about Aaron Rodgers: even when he's having a bad year, he can make one or two throws a game that most players can't. Yep. So if he makes one or two throws a game that Kirk Cousins can't, if he doesn't throw an interception that Kirk Cousins would. But otherwise, he's as good as Kirk Cousins. I think the Jets can still win the yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah, Jets are a playoff team for sure. So I think we both can be right, AJ. I just think you're thinking he's hit, he's going to drop off the face of the earth. 
I don't think so. I think he's going to be the 12th or 14th best quarterback, but it might be good enough. Drew Brees' last season, he was sixth in the league in QBR. And, and, and to the eye test, it looked like he was. If there's any sign of Sean Payton's genius, that's probably one of them. Because there was years Matty Holt was making fun of his noodle arm, and he still was the only quarterback, except for Mahomes, that highly rated. Yep. It's to be continued. Yeah. It's a fascinating one. But I generally agree with you, and I generally agree with Scott. That's what makes it confusing in this one. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I agree Rodgers is old, probably too old. I agree the Jets are mighty good. I, I also will agree that Aaron Rodgers in a wheelchair is an upgrade from Zach Wilson. I don't think so. I, I mean, I saw Jason Street in the wheelchair Olympics. You remember Friday Night Live? Yeah. That was tough. I thought I'd get my hands caught. They were, you ever see those episodes? They're banging in each other? Yeah. It's take, a tough, tough sport. Take your finger right off. All right. That Herc was a good influence on him, though. I didn't think so. No. He motivated him. He drank, I think. Yeah. Underage. Okay, next up. DeAndre Swift traded to Philadelphia. You got excited about this one. Scott, tell me I, why. I think that he's a dynamic running back. And for with all due respect to Miles Sanders, I think that Philadelphia has now multiple guys in their backfield that are multifaceted. And, you know, Swift capable of being that lead early down back that's going to certainly, you know, carry the the football. But he can also catch passes out of the backfield. And what they got last are the year— Are the Lions stupid? Uh, I think they're stupid for letting Swift and Jamal Williams leave. I guess what I'm saying is when you have a team that's competent mm -hmm. and they know the player and another team, even if they're perceived to be better front office, trades for the player, doesn't the team that know the knows the player probably has more insight in, in net? Well, we always say yes. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, there ha now maybe the environment in Philly can help this player play different, you know, uh, be more whatever. I don't even know what the rumors are. It does seem like they're selling low. On Swift, and it, and it seems when these trades look when these trades look crazy, like how they get him for that. There's usually a reason I've you know found. Well, if you listen to the first podcast, we realize you're if a running back is running out of his value, and you don't you're not going to want to sign him to a second deal. The fact that they were able to get something in return, are they really selling low? Like they they just drafted a new guy and said we're just replacing him. Yeah, but if you got a guy on contract that allows you not to have to use the 12th pick on something. You know, like drafting a quarterback or a running back at 12 isn't the model because you didn't draft a left tackle. You didn't, you know, again, the Lions need cornerbacks and they need defense. They don't need left tackles. They have a great, you know, really strong line, offensive line. But in general, well, let's just say this. I'm going to bring up the running back stuff again next week just a little bit mm -hmm. because McKenzie did some really good work I had some ideas, and he put it together. How do uh, elite performing running backs affect their team? How do elite performing quarterbacks? And the numbers are stark and surprising. Uh, we'll, I'll go over those next week. I don't want to give that short shrift. But we'll see with the Lions, obviously, and Philly. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right. On April 29th, they draft Bryce Young, obviously. And we've talked about Carolina. Houston drafts Stroud. To me, this is a standard pick. I don't, I don't think you upgrade or downgrade from it. But here's the upgrade for Houston. 
somehow they have the number three pick and the number two. You can't lose that much. <laughs> so, so what happened? Well, they traded a king's ransom for it. And next year, they're number one, gone. Well, what happened? Arizona loses a player this year for a better, in theory, player next year, possibly. And all of a sudden, Houston gets a whole other blue chipper. Steelers, they haven't drafted as high as this since Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> I think that's right, actually. Third, 1970 was number one. Mean Joe Green was number one in 69. That's the way you start a team, by the way. You know, you want to hear something that you don't know, AJ, as much as you think you know? It There's all? a lot I don't know. All right. Did you know that up until like 1976, the NFL home field advantage in the playoffs was alternated year to year? Did not know that. That when the 72 Dolphins, undefeated, played in the championship game to go to the Super Bowl, they played the Steelers after the Immaculate Reception in 72. It was in Pittsburgh. I did not know that. That's awful. That's stunning, <laughs> is, isn't yeah. it? Uh-huh. And what that has to do with something, I don't know. But what we know is, this is a... T- well, it means Pittsburgh hasn't had a high draft choice, you know, since then. I guess... I think Big Bang was 10, maybe, 11. And they haven't picked above that. That's pretty badass. That is pretty badass. They're a model of consistency. I think maybe in the 90s they had... I mean, Chuck Noll last couple of years wasn't good. But was he top 10 bad? I think so. Mm-hmm. But they didn't get a quarterback, I can tell you that much. Bobby <laughs> Brister was still there. Pre-draft, Houston had an over-under of 5.6 wins. They've gone up seven-tenths of a win, up to 6.3, and that puts Houston as, let's think about this a second, the third highest upward movement. Optimism has grown for Houston as much as any team except Baltimore and, I guess, Atlanta. Yep. And why? Because there's currency that they pay dearly for, they get to take advantage of this year, that they don't have to pay for. Because, you know, next year's draft choice doesn't affect this year's team. I think that's a big driver of it. Yeah, and I, if you remember when we did our win totals, I bet under Texans, but I waited until it got to this point. Oh, market time. Uh, it, I mean, five and a half felt like, ooh, that's tough. Six and a half almost. Six and a half with a little juice. It's hard for me to picture the Texans going from what they've been and having so much turnover over the last few years so to, to winning clear, seven games. They're at 6.3 right now. Yeah. So it's six and a half... It was like minus plus one, money. Uh, under six and a half was like minus one thirty or something like that. Right. Yeah. All right. So there is optimism for Houston. And another thing with Houston is there's a sense that they traded their number one last or for next year. They're not going to tank at all. If anything, their jobs are on the line because that pick can't be top five or they're in big trouble. I agree, but they also like while they're saying, "Hey, we're going for it now," they trade away their best wide receiver. Well, they didn't want him. Obviously, this isn't a fan. You could say you don't want him, but he was better than anybody they had. It doesn't matter. Is You're building a team. You're not building. uh, And I'm not saying that they shouldn't have found a way to make him happy. They should have, right? But when Parcells trades someone away, everyone's like, how strong it is. Well, at some point, if you let's give the Belichick guys credit. And a GM from the Belichick front office. They're gonna they're, they're, they they back their opinions up. 
with action. Some would say too boldly. Look at the Raiders. Did they really have to get rid of Derek Carr? Well, they wanted their guy in there. Well, their guy isn't as good as Derek Carr. And he gets hurt all the time. So maybe they're going to fall on their sword. But um, I think in general, if you got a malcontent, or at least what you perceive to be a malcontent in the locker room, you got to get rid of that guy. I mean, most Super Bowl teams have a lot of cohesion. I agree. So, you know, maybe you don't win this year. Maybe you lose. Come on. yeah. I mean, the question is, how much does... I mean, how good of a wide receiver are we really talking? Is it a top 50 receiver in the league? Probably the borderline of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cooks is probably the best Houston had. If it, it, listen, I agree. There's always a reason to compromise. Whenever there's some principle, you want to fire someone over, you want to hire someone over, you want to not take money over, you want to take money over, whatever it is, there's always a reason to say next time. We won't do it this time, but next time. I, I, I like that they're doing it. I mean, it might be wrong, but they they believe it. That's all you can do, yeah. right? But you just hate Houston. You hate the Texans. I, I don't hate the Texans. I I, th- I hate the idea that they're going to win seven games this year. AJ, we spent two years. I hated on, the Texans on. at one point. I don't hate them organizationally. I, I hated you, what they did at that time. Because they re- revoked your press No, pass. I don't care about that. <laughs> Because we spent two years on Aaron Houston arguing that he said O'Brien's a horrible coach. And I'm like, he made the playoffs like with with like John Kolb or something. Who was the – I mean, it was like Ryan Mallett. Uh, I mean, they went – Tom Savage. Tom Savage. Yeah, they went through (laughs) – Brian Hoyer. That's a maestro. (laughs) I mean, that guy should get coach of the year. They went through some bad ones. (laughs) All right. And he's underrated in the front office. Mm, First episode, you got to look at that. All right. Cleveland, and as part of their accruement of great defense or good defensive players, get Zadarius Smith from the Vikings. Vikings, a lot of outward flow of talent there. I think Vikings, uh, I think this Hunter situation, LSU formerly Hunter. Daniel Hunter. Daniel. They're trying to keep him happy. If they have to trade him, I think it's a bad sign. Little, little, little tip there, I think. Okay. Minnesota, if you look at it, opened the season at 8.7 wins, opened the offseason, currently 8.7. It shows you how much the market doesn't get fooled by those close wins last year. They won, what, 13? And now they're 8.7? They didn't lose that much. Okay. Arizona cuts Nuke Hopkins and then later, two months later, signs with Tennessee to me, I don't know. We, do we have a, a change from since that signing, McKenzie? Uh, yeah, for both teams. Uh, give me what happened. So the Cardinals were 5.1 around uh, when they were cut them. Now they're at 4.4. The Titans went from 7.3 to 7.5. Ooh, two-tenths of a win is a nice tick up. Mm-hmm. Good info. I've got Tennessee in some. And a lot of people thought Jacksonville. I, I like John Middlecoff. I listen to most of, you know every chance I get. He is, and again, he's not a gambler. He doesn't claim to be a gambler, yep. so I appreciate that. But he was saying how Jacksonville at minus 160 to win the division is a lock. It's like, to me, the opposite of a lock is a team that isn't used to winning, hasn't had two good seasons in a row ever, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. And let's be candid, they were bad 
the second half of the season, they were good. The first half, they weren't as good, though their underlying stats were better than their record. When I have a team hot for half a season, I'm not sure what to think of them. I mean, I like that it was the more recent half season, but it's still half a season. They might be 13-4 and this year. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a good year, but there's a, a wide range of outcomes for Jacksonville. Tennessee, they just keep chopping wood. They want to yeah. win one extra game. I, I don't mind Tennessee to win the division there as a bet, potentially. Since they've been in the AFC South, mm-hmm. this is their order of finish. La- going back from last year. Last year, yeah. So last year first. Fourth, 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 fourth. Now how many teams? Four teams. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> 2017, first. Okay. 2016, fourth. Third, third, fourth. Third, second, fourth, fourth, second, third, second, second, third, third. Like, yeah, so I would have cut off those ones. It's, just, hard, yeah. it's hard to <laughs> like. You, I mean, you make a good point. They've never won. They've never had good back-to-back seasons. And they, they, listen, I'm not even sure. I mean, there is an institutional element to it. These new coaches, new players. But again, far from a lock. And again, the, the last time they had consecutive winning seasons was 98-99. That's been at least 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. And again, I, if I had to bet, I think I'd bet Tennessee at odd, with the odds right now. I'm not sure I wouldn't bet. Well, I don't think I'd bet. Jacksonville's got a problem on the O-line, too. What do you not like about Indy? Because you seemed like the low floor with the quarterback. We're talking about Indy going over a win total, right? But their win total is higher than you think. Where is that win total at? 6.7. Okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking they win eight games. I don't think. But who knows? That could win the division. Uh, Nine and eight won it last year. Trevor Lawrence. Remember, I picked him like fourth or fifth in that draft. He Listen. I win either way because if I say he does well this year, hey, he did underperform, but then I knew when to turn with. And if I lo- if he does poorly, I just kill him the rest of the yeah. uh, <laughs> the rest of the time, metaphorically. Remember, right. remember AJ and I faded uh, your Trevor Lawrence pick. I know the combo Herbert. I know, and that left tackle worries me, um, or the lack of left tackle. Okay, somehow AJ scribbled in pencil. Bill signed L- Leonard. Is Floyd Leonard Floyd? Why is his name misspelled? I don't know. My bad. All right, I <laughs> there's think an O in there. Leonard Floyd <laughs> in the twenty-second pick of the fourteenth round. Leonard. Okay, I think that's pretty irrelevant, huh? Wait, <laughs> real quick. Leonard Floyd got signed. Bet the house, bet the car, bet the key. The Leonard Floyd? <laughs> the, <laughs> the Clay Davis? <laughs> Downtown Clay Davis. <laughs> no one gets that. Leonard I mean, I think people realize Clay Davis, but Mackenzie watched the first episode of The Wire and the last. He was confused. <laughs> <laughs> so what if I watched the first episode and then the last episode of every season? You'd be confused. What I <laughs> most shows you'd get it. This okay. show you would. All right, gotcha. But but the funny thing about the wire, the first five episodes are the most inscrutable. So it's a, a bad first five episodes. But what happened? David Simon said, "I want only people properly dedicated to even watch the show." He tried to run them off. 
He ran me off. <laughs> Did you watch the first episode and didn't like it? Years and years ago, I couldn't get into the you first go, episode. You go, wait a minute. This isn't about Italians? This is about <laughs> the blacks? Forget no, that. No, what it was was I had been so uh, ingrained in like modern television oh. <laughs> that while I'm watching it, I'm like, why don't they just like... You know, facial recognition or satellites, and just like find they're like tapping a phone, like wiring, tapping a phone. It's such old technology. It is interesting because it <laughs> it was anachronistic because the, when the people that made the show, not just David Simon, were on the ground, like some were cops and stuff. It was like ten years before when mm -hmm. papers were a big thing. Yeah. So what they did was they said, "Well, we know about this. We don't know how they do it with you know, let's say the modern technology." So they stayed with the beepers and they made the point, "Hey." The, the the touts and whatever, which is what they call the people that say, uh, you know, we're up or, you know, pandemic or whatever, you know, they're screaming how good the drugs are is um, or touting it is uh, they were too dumb to remember the code. So they had to use a bit whatever. That was the story. But um, in truth, it was just, hey, they had to move it 10 years because yeah. that's what they knew. But I don't think it changes anything. No, I mean, I'll give it a go. I just... It, listen, let's just say this. It deterred me on the first time. I think... Listen, if I was watching the show cold, meaning as it was released, I didn't start watching The Wire till after the third season, and I caught wind of how good it was. I watched it on DVD on Netflix, so it's been a while. And, um, and then I watched the fourth season contemporaneously live. If I didn't know how good the show was, I don't know if I would have got past the first four or five because it is dense. It, it, you don't know characters. They show up, say one thing, and leave. It's it's almost like you're watching light. It's almost like a documentary without a voiceover, which is cool, but it's it's hard going. But it's worth it. It is. Have you seen The Wire? Uh, yeah, multiple times. Did you have trouble with the first five? No. Just remember, I told you I didn't I didn't love uh, season two at first. The Steve Door, that was my favorite season. Was it really? Oh yeah, I loved it. Ziggy, yeah, and, and then, Duck, and then I like season four, and you tell me, oh, it's it's no, no, no. Steve, season four is highly regarded. I think that it pulls at the heartstrings with the kids so much. It feels a little facile. Okay, facile. Now that I've watched all five seasons, mm -hmm. season five is clearly the worst season. But a good season of TV, it is. I think one the standard's very high for that show. Last thing I'll say about it for now. Imagine if I say last thing I'll ever say about the why. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the Rawls, who was the you know not corrupt cop but uh, Machiavellian cop, who was tougher than he seemed. Like he just was always tough. He was always kind of badass, but he was like a five nine. Kind of, I don't know. Maybe he's taller. I don't know. They showed him once in a gay bar. For one scene, one second, and they never mention it again. That's interesting to start with. But he's hilarious in different points. Well, so finally, spoiler alert, McNulty in season five is staging murders for um, of homeless people. He's not, you know, but because he needs the money and it took like a big serial killer type thing to get the money to go solve other cases. Right. That's the premise. Yeah. And it's finally like in the penultimate episode, maybe the one before that, they discover it. The bosses discover he's doing it. So they meet in the holding tank because they don't want anyone to hear this. And Rose is there and McNulty walks in. He's just silent for like 30 seconds. <laughs> then he goes. 
Tell me you're at least not killing him yourself. First, he's, his main hope is, okay, there's fake, I think fake serial killings. I hope my cop isn't actually murdering people. And it's like, that being his like saving grace, he goes, all right, at least you're at not. Least it's not you. At least you're not killing him. That shows you how crazy McNulty is that that was a thought. By the way, the guy who plays Rawls, uh-huh. six foot three. Okay, that's it. He had a hunch about yeah. him. And then I thought about it. You know, he was always hunching, so maybe he was taller. Yeah. He was also one of the guys on Oz. Oh, you know what's funny? I've never watched Oz. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you've watched everything on HBO. No, no. J.K. Simmons. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I loved uh, the drumming movie. Okay, finishing up here. Um... Leonard Floyd irrelevant. By the way, Leonard Floyd top ten in sacks over the last three years in the league. Well, you do understand. I'm not. I'm not the one who put him on the list. I'm just saying, like he's you he's kept, an impact player. Who put him on the list? The conglomerate of us. <laughs> oh, the conglomerate. That's what we'll call you through the conglomerate for <laughs> now. Um, we'll just say all we have to say is Leno- or Leonard Floyd, and we'll know what we're talking about from here on. Minnesota cuts Dalvin Cook. We talked about a lot of losses there. Tennessee. Okay. I think we got this. To me, if we go back and look finally macro and say, who's the biggest movers? Ravens, we got a reason. All right? Biggest mover. Number two, Falcons. We don't necessarily have a reason other than the big money they had to spend in free agency. I think the Falcons is truly a sentiment evolution because it's kind of crazy they've gone up 1.2 games. If we accept the Ravens are in a class of their own because of the Lamar uncertainty, the number we put those aside, the number one mover upward is the Falcons at 1.2. The number two is the Texans at 0.8. So literally they have 50% more upward movement, the Falcons, than any team in the league, except the Ravens in that exception. Why? I don't understand it. This is something we aren't, this is not public, this is sentiment. And I, tr- you know, in this kind of professional type movement, I trust it. If I had to bet it right now, I'd bet the over, even at the inflated number. Wow. If I had to bet it. All right. Now, let's look on the negative side. The most negative, the Rams. Well, we got all kind of news about that. Mm-hmm. And next, the Cardinals, we got all kind of news about that. And then next, the Commanders, we don't. That feels like a sentiment move. Down on the commanders, and they're saying, for some reason, you got one team with a second-year quarterback that we're high on, Atlanta. Another team, second-year quarterback, we're low on. It's interesting. Same scenario. You don't like it in either cases. One, the pros or the biggest bettors love it, and the other one, they hate it. What's funny is I like me being a college football watcher, I like Sam Howell more than I like Desmond Ritter. And I don't scout from the couch. No. Another difference. I will say this as the first time we've done this. There's much, much, almost every one of these major moves, you saw it in the numbers. And it's not often you see numbers move without news. And I think those are the ones that are the most powerful because there's no public money. It's not going to be public. It's mm-hmm. good. Even the quasi-wise sharps aren't. This is something happening at a computer analysis level where they saw something in the numbers last year. You know, Mackenzie, for next week... Let's look at Washington in the negative, and let's look at 
Falcons in the positive was in our line tracking. Did we see late in the year professional support or fade of those teams? I like that. Just to see, is yeah, there something interesting. From, it's last year that maybe is going to carry over? I mean, we do know that there is one group that is is bullish on the Falcons. It's well, one it's of the, not one group that's yeah. moving it that much. No, but I mean, at least we do know, like you know, when Fezzik hops on his calls or whatever, like that that there there is a group of people that are very bullish on the Falcons. And 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 I think. And again, the question is why, and and it's not obvious necessarily in the news. Yeah. All right. So this is what we got. We got the college boys here, discussion college. Last week you did the SEC. This week the Big Ten. And like I said, I'm going to listen to this later. I won't be. You know, we'll let the pod end with the you know college football here. But I have great faith. You won't fall prey. You won't let the sucker thing of saying. Michigan's 2-0. I don't think you possibly could let that influence you. Let's listen. We've been going through, I say we've been going through, well, we, we so far we've done the SEC, and now we're going to take a look at the Big Ten as we go week by week and preview the major conferences in college football. We are looking at a win total over, a win total under, a conference champion, and a dark horse conference champion. So someone that's outside of 5-1 to one or outside of the top two favorites uh, seems like they, how, what we'll describe as a dark horse. Unless you want to bet Rutgers to win the uh, oh, to yeah. win the, the Big Ten. I mean, well, that, seems, that seems smart. That could happen, I suppose. Uh, Big Ten, let's do a, a quick rundown of the odds to win the Big Ten championship game. Uh, you could get Michigan or Ohio State at the same plus 165. You can get Penn State 6-1, to one, Wisconsin plus 750, Iowa 12-1, to one, Illinois 30-1, to one, Minnesota 40-1, to one, Corn, it's Corn, 60-1, to one, Maryland 80-1, to one, Purdue 100-1, to one, Michigan State 150 to 1, Northwestern 300 to 1, Rutgers and Indiana 500 to 1 if you want one of those two. And I don't think that Rutgers and Indiana are necessarily worse than Northwestern, but they would have to go through the Eastern Division, which yeah. is the, that's where Michigan Ohio that's where the top 3 favorites live. Uh while there's almost zero chance Northwestern could win the West, that's more of a chance than uh, than Indiana and Rutgers have of winning the East. So, with that said, let's go. I'll go to you first, Scott. Who is your conference champion and why? My conference champion is Michigan. Um, I think Michigan should probably be 11 and 0 going into the Ohio State game, and they have the Ohio State game at home. So I think Michigan is going to be the representative from the East in the Big Ten championship game. Their running game is elite. Blake Corm's back after the injury that he suffered last season. They have a dynamic one-two punch with Donovan Edwards as well. And J.J. McCarthy's a star at quarterback. Like He's coming into his own. They're favored in every game right now. If you look on DraftKings, they are 
minus two and a half at Penn State, which is probably their most difficult test. Not probably. It is their most difficult test prior to the Ohio State game. And because they have the Ohio State game at home, they're favored right now at minus two and a half over Ohio State. So I like Michigan to finish the year at worst 11 and one and win the Big Ten. I like that as well, uh, and if you like that, you probably like their win total over ten and a half as I well. I do because I think yeah. that I, they should, like I said, they should be eleven and zero going into the Ohio State game. If they lose, let's say they lose at Penn State and they're ten and one, then they'll need the win over Ohio State to get into the Big Ten championship game. They'll be eleven and one. They'll go over the ten and a half, and they'll beat whoever comes out of the West. I'm with you. Uh, I like I like them to win it at plus one sixty five. I like them over ten and a half. No, I might feel differently if the game was at the Horseshoe. Right. If it was at Ohio State, I'd feel a little different. But well, I also just think that, like this, might be the past two years. Let's say, might be the most talent that Jim Harbaugh has ever had at Michigan. I don't think and, it's even and, might be. I and, think it's and without question, yeah. And this year. You know, with the quarterback finally coming into his own, I think McCarthy is a Heisman candidate, and I think this offense is ready to roll. In the last two seasons, let's let's face. You mentioned them. There's essentially two losable games on the schedule: the mm-hmm. Ohio State game and then the Mich- or the Penn State game. But they're favored in both of them right now. In the last two seasons, Michigan is four and zero against those two schools, mm. and they've won those four games by an average of sixteen points per game. Penn State, Ohio State. Both changing quarterback this year. Michigan isn't. They they're set. They return JG JJ McCarthy for his second full year. On yep. you know, like he, it should just get better. Uh, yeah, there's no more Cade McNamara there to, no. to decide. Oh, maybe we go in this direction. Nope, it, it's his team. I think Michigan is the best team in the country. Not called Georgia, so I've got to slot him in here. They return most of that core from the last two seasons. They're top twenty nationally in TARP, in returning production, uh, and they're second in the conference only to Wisconsin. They've won the Joe Moore Award the last two seasons for best offensive line in the country. This this year's line looks better than those two. Uh, you mentioned Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. 2,450 yards combined last year, 25 touchdowns. Behind the best offensive line in the country. The defense was strong last year, shouldn't lose a step. Importantly, I think Harbaugh brought back his entire coaching staff. Like there was a lot of talk about Harbaugh leaving. There was talk about his coordinators getting big jobs. Everybody stayed. What I also love about picking Michigan to win is you could probably hedge out late season if Ohio State, for whatever reason, looks unstoppable. But with all the turnover Ohio State has, I don't know that I'm going to look at them as being unstoppable. Another thing of note, to just talking about the talent that Michigan has, PFF just released – their preseason all Big Ten team. Michigan had 14 guys <laughs> on the preseason all Big Ten team. Now you might say, well, how many teams do they have? They have three teams. So mm-hmm. there's going to be 66 guys. Yep. But remember, th- there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten. And there's more than 10. There's more than 10. And seven of the Michigan guys were on the first team. So this is an incredibly stacked team. Uh, While Ohio State's trying to replace C.J. Stroud, I think McCarthy's just due to get better. You've got the best quarterback. in. You've got the best running backs. You've got the best offensive line in the conference. 
I think Michigan's a solid bet at plus 165. Yeah, and J.J. McCarthy, 18-1 to to win the Heisman right now, I think is a sneaky little bet. All right, let's talk about your dark horse. Who do you like? If it's not, let's just say if it's not Michigan or Ohio State, Mm -hmm. who do you see it? I think the only way to play a dark horse is you have to pick a team from the West. Because no one in the East is is going to beat Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State. And so the three of them are not dark horses. So automatically I go look to the West, and I think Wisconsin is the most likely to get to the championship game out of the West. Luke Fickle comes in at head coach from Cincinnati and gives them instant credibility. They also brought in a new offensive coordinator in Phil Longo who worked under Mac Brown in North Carolina. So he saw Sam Howell, you know, light up that offense from a passing game perspective. Before that, he was at Ole Miss, where he led a prolific passing attack. So who does Wisconsin have to play quarterback to run this offense? Well, they bring in Tanner Mordecai, quarterback Not from— Not Graham Mertz anymore, no. thank God. Tanner Mordecai from SMU, who ran a high-flying passing offense there for the Mustangs. You look at their schedule, they'll be 6-0 and right out of the gate. They're likely a nine-win team, maybe a 10-win team if they can beat Illinois or Minnesota on the road. Those are two tough road games. But the rest of their schedule, nine wins at least for them. So I also like their over eight and a half as their win total at minus 130. But I think that they are the most likely representative from the Big Ten West to be in the championship game. And when you're looking at a dark horse to win this conference, all you need— is just to be in the championship game, and you got a shot. So I'm taking Wisconsin to represent the West and be the dark horse to possibly upset a Michigan or an Ohio State or a Penn State in the title game. That was my thought as well, but you kind of kicked me in the nuts there because I went with Penn State. It's six to one is my dark horse, mm. and you said they're not a dark horse. I, I don't know when you got two two teams that are like plus one hundred no, something. Listen, we set the rules. We said anything five to one or greater. So at six to one, you're you're well within the rules. And my thought was Wisconsin plus seven fifty. By the way, if this team Penn State, if, if they can split the the Michigan Ohio State games. And everybody splits those yeah, three games. Yeah, then it goes down to the highest. There's some sort of tiebreaker. It's like, the highest ranked team in the college football playoff rankings. And depending on when the losses happen, mm-hmm. you know, it, like that Which could, the Michigan-Ohio State loss will be, be the, the last end. thing that the committee sees. So the loser of that game might actually drop below a Penn State. So that my thought is if, if it t- gets into some sort of a three, I, I, don't, I don't think Penn State can beat both those teams. I, I just don't. But if they can upset one of them, you've got a chance. Uh, they climbed out of the gutter last year after a couple rough seasons, at least by Penn State standard seasons. Finished 11-2, and two, and they lose Sean Clifford, but I don't know how much of a bad thing that is considering Drew Aller looks like he's ready to be the next big thing at that position. They returned the majority of their offensive line. The defense is going to be solid again. And outside of those two big dogs, the schedule's very, very forgiving. Uh, and whoever, if they make it to the Big Ten championship game, they're a massive favorite in that game. Yeah, obviously. So yeah. to get them at six to one, I, I don't think that's the, the a, a bad flyer on a dark horse. Although, again, I love Michigan this year. I, I, like I said, they're my favorite team in the country besides Georgia. So this is certainly just a a value flyer. I don't know that I'll even actually have any 
any actual investment mm-hmm. on this play. So, all right, let's look at win totals. Let's start with your over. Where are you at over the win totals? Well, I'm just going to stick with Wisconsin. So, okay. eight and a half at minus 130. And I mentioned when I talked about them as a dark horse that they'll be 6 0 out of the gate. That's because they're favored in all six games. It's Buffalo at Washington State, home to Georgia Southern, at Purdue, home to Rutgers, home to Iowa. They're, they're, they're 6 0 with that schedule right now. Then they go to Illinois, which is one of their tough road tests. It's also a trap game because they're home against Ohio State the next week. So let's say, all right, maybe they lose both of those games. You bounce back with wins against Indiana and Northwestern. All of a sudden, that's your eight wins right there. Pick up a ninth win against either Nebraska or Minnesota. I think this team is talented enough to win 10 games. I think you're going to see a very un-Wisconsin-like offense from Luke Fickle and Phil Longo. It's not going to be just the, the the running game. The running game will be there. And Wisconsin defensively will be strong as well because they have the big guys up front. But it's going to be more of an open passing attack that they have not had in several years. They got the right quarterback to do it. They got the right coach to do it. I think this is at least a nine-win team. Over eight-and-a-half wins for Wisconsin, minus 130. I'm going to go with Corn, And I'm expecting the coaching change at Nebraska to pay immediate dividends, sort of the way you saw it with uh, with Illinois. When Brett Bielema came in for Lovey Smith, you know, they, they jumped three games the next season. Mm-hmm. Then the season after that, they were eight and five. Uh, I think I think Nebraska, who lost a ton of close games last year, remember they lost like four games by three points or less. I think they lost two more by less than a touchdown. And I think Matt Rule is is going to have an early impact because he killed it in the transfer portal. Jeff Sims is going to be instantly the starting quarterback, and he's instantly the best quarterback Nebraska's had in probably six, seven years. Uh, it, that's a position they've struggled with. I think Jeff Sims is automatically, especially with Rule, I think is automatically going to mm-hmm. find some success. They brought in Eric Gilbert, who was looked at as like, one of the two or three best tight end prospects in the country from Georgia. He just didn't get any playing time because he plays behind the best tight end in the country (laughs) in Brock Bowers. So he transfers to Nebraska. The defense has to get better, but Rule had a really nice defensive class, including a a top-five defender out of Texas in Princewell, Uman Mielin. I have good luck with that, but he's going to carry the pass rush unit and should have an immediate impact. Importantly for Nebraska... The schedule misses Penn State. It misses Ohio State. And besides Michigan, I think every home game is winnable for Nebraska. There's a really important matchup right away against Colorado. If they beat Colorado, I think six wins is the floor. So I like Nebraska over six wins for my win total. Where are you going to go for an under? Who underperforms in the Big Ten? We've talked about it before. It's Northwestern. It's under three and a half wins at minus one sixty. Yeah, you got to pay some juice now. It's juiced for a reason, but Fitzgerald gone, and this the, the program's in shambles. I can see players leaving after four games, saving their eligibility and entering the transfer portal. And just look at how much that Rutgers spread moved already. Yeah, in week one, if they lose that game, they're probably only going to get two wins. They're probably going to beat UTEP and and Howard, and that's it. Like th- there's no other wins on there. There's no games where they'll be favored besides the UTEP game and the uh, Howard game. 
the rest of their schedule. If you're looking for an upset win over somebody, maybe home against Purdue, you can upset them at the end of the year. And even if they do that, it's three wins. If they lose to Rutgers, which now they're seven and a half point dogs, it's going to be real hard. If they for lose them. to Rutgers, they can't win. They, they, they can't, can't win, win four games. games. I agree. It's going to be really hard for them. And we saw, like I said, we saw how much that spread moved from whatever it was three, I think it was, to four to, to seven and a half, with the coaching news of Pat Fitzgerald being gone. I just think there's too much. There's too much of a cloud over this entire program that I think it's just going to be a terrible year, one to forget for Northwestern. Well, uh, I don't disagree with your pick, but. I'm hoping that Northwestern wins that first game because I'm going Rutgers under four and a half. And Greg Schiano, he turned over a good chunk of his his coaching staff, which he had to. The offense was mm-hmm. so dreadful. It, but it looks like they're going to continue to run Gavin Wimsat out there. And he could not be – you couldn't have a worse quarterback. I well, I guess you can. Here's, here's why I say you can. He completed 44.8% of his passes last year. That was good for 145th out of 146 quarterbacks that attempted at least 125 passes. You're going against me on this. I'm going against you on this because I don't think Wemsat's going to be the quarterback. It's going to be Evan Simon. He's the best passer of the group, and that first game against Northwestern sets the tone for the entire season because assuming they win that game, again, we just mentioned it, they are seven-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. They win that game— they're going to be four and one after after they lose to Michigan and beat Wagner. Northwestern, Temple, home to Vatek. They lose to Michigan. They beat Wagner. That's four wins right there. All we need to hit this over is one upset victory. And it might not even be an upset victory because Michigan State stinks. And when they roll into whatever they're calling the stadium now, SHI Stadium or whatever they're calling the Rutgers Stadium now these days, Jersey Mike's, I don't know. Uh, Whatever happens, that Michigan State game could be the win that gets them to five. Or you're just hoping for an upset somewhere down the line, maybe final game of the year against Maryland. Here's why I don't think it even matters who plays quarterback. They lost their top three wide receivers from last year. They lost half their offensive line it, this again. This team does it on defense. If you look at last year, it, right? no doubt it's legit again. And and they return a lot of their yeah. a lot of their talent from from you know a lot of their talent on defense from last year. This is the thing you mentioned: their offense sucks, and I agree with you. It sucked last year, but in the games that they scored twenty one points, they were undefeated. Well, the problem, like, if how many times did Rutgers I just, score twenty one points? Mm-hmm. Is the question four for three games? Four games. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's the point. I need. They scored twenty two against Boston College, sixty six against Wagner. They beat Temple, scoring sixteen. They beat Indiana, scoring twenty four. In every oh, they had twenty one in a loss against Michigan State, but in every other game, they scored under three touchdowns. That's the point I'm trying to make. If they can just find a way offensively to score three touchdowns. In games, they're going to win more than four games. Here, they're not going to win six, but I think five is a good number. Here's what I think. I believe that Rutgers also lost one of their most important players this offseason. They had the Ray Guy winner from last season and Adam Korsak. And when you punt the football as much as Rutgers punts the football, that's a pretty key loss. When you're always behind the sticks, because they're like, there's no way their offense is going to suddenly become dynamic. No, they, they don't have good players. 
you've got to be able to play special teams, and losing that guy I think is a big deal. Here's what I'll say. I think there's two key games, well, three key games on their schedule, because I'm going to say Wagner and Temple are free squares. Uh, and I think Northwestern's a free square. I still don't think it's a free square. I think okay. it's a game they should win. They should win. All right. I so think, we're giving them two free squares. I think Virginia Tech and Indiana at Indiana, those are the games that are, are going to be the toughest games. Like, that's going to decide if they win five games or not. I, I think it's the Virginia Tech game that decides it. Because I have them, if I do the whole win-loss, win-loss, win game, like I said, I have Rutgers going 4-1 and one after the Wagner game. I have them starting the season 3-0, beating Virginia Tech, winning those first three home games, getting blown out at Michigan, and then beating Wagner 4-1. and one. And, I'm, and, and all I got to do in the second half of the season to get this win total is pick up one win. The only winnable game is Indi- at Indiana. Or home to Michigan State. Uh, eh, maybe. Or, yeah. maybe or, or maybe there's an, a home to Maryland. Maybe at the end of the year. Uh, you know, that team's not playing for anything. And, and you know, there, if there's a chance for a bowl game, teams could rise up. You know, sometimes you have a five-win team that makes a bowl game. You don't have to uh, do the, the six wins anymore, right, because of the teams that the academic rules and whatnot. So I don't know. Um, well, I, I just think that if you can find a better win total out there than four and a half, like if you get a four, yeah, play the over. I don't think you're going to find that, though. No. Well, I'm glad. I think especially once the Northwestern drama happens. Yeah. I'm glad to have some action on this. So green button bet. I'm on Rutgers under four and a half. Are you? Rah, rah. Are you? Scott rah, is rah, a homer. Are you? Rah, rah. Uh, no are surprise. You? Rah, rah. Scott is a homer. Of the uh-huh. Over four and a half for Scott. So there you go. There is our Big Ten breakdown uh, next week. What? Big 12 will do? Big 12. Big 12 next week.